This episode of the Sportsman's Empire is brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Since 1952, Interstate Batteries has been evoking compassion and a trustworthy spirit into the surrounding communities. Interstate Batteries is a mission-driven company fueled by purpose and guided by their values. If you need help locating a specific battery, stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and speak with a battery specialist. They even offer cell phone repairs. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jacob. Thank you for joining me. This is Hunt Detail. Really appreciate everyone's support of this podcast. And if you're enjoying this content, please go to iTunes or Spotify or whatever platform you're using and give it a five stars. Really would appreciate that. It really helps support what what, uh, we're trying to do here at Hunt Detail. And um, if you also like this content, I would encourage you to check out Hunt Detail YouTube. There's a lot more content there, more long-form content, looking at deeper evaluations of gear. Uh, There's hunt strategy, uh, woodsmanship sort of content there. And then on Instagram, if you go to Hunt Detail, there's a link in my profile that you click on, and you can get access to a bunch of different free resources that I've put there. And the most recent resource is the head-to-head comparison It's four to five pages long. It's a spreadsheet looking at six different hunt map applications. And that you probably, maybe you've heard that podcast, my previous podcast. It's uh, that video uh, looks at those in in more detail, but you can just get the spreadsheet for free. You just go there and it shows you uh, some of the the pros, the cons, uh, the rating, uh, the, the scores, uh, the best score would be, out, it's out of 80 points, and some of them came in in the high 70s, and some of them did much worse. So there's um, there's a lot of um, versatility and value in some of the apps, and there's some that, well, actually one in particular that I believe is an imposter. So enough about that. Now we're going to talk about the to-do list for off-season. And if you live in the West, this does apply to you or can apply to you. Uh, it's, I live in the East, so this is going to be a little whitetail centric, but, uh, obviously it's application season. And if you want to hunt out West, we talked about that in a few podcasts ago, that is part of the to-do list, but let's talk about our to-do list on a local level. And so I've got a tap 10 sheet here, and I'm just going to go through each of these one by one. Now, the first one is, I would say it's time to jump deer. Now, for four, five, six months, as we've hunted, we've been very careful about our entry and exit into the woods. We are trying to watch the wind. We're trying to watch our noise. We're trying to get up a tree quietly. And now we don't have to do any of that stuff. We don't have to worry about that stuff because anything that we do today in the woods is not going to impact our hunts in October or November. So now, I would still recommend using the wind to your advantage, but now is the time to cover ground. And during the season, we were testing theories. We were looking at, okay, I think the doe's bed here. I think the buck's bed here. I think the food is here. I think the uh, movement pattern looks like this, etc., etc. Now, we can we can start new theories and we can actually find out more information 
And these deer have been hunted for the better part of five or six months. There's been people trouncing through the woods. There have been guns, bullets shot at them. Where are they bedded now? Where, where do they find to be the most secure area in the woods? Well, now you get to go walk through the woods and find out. And quite honestly, this year, I had a couple encounters with bucks where it was based on intel from a year ago in this time frame, where I put on my boots and went hiking and tried to use the wind to my advantage and figured out, okay, this is an area that they like, they feel secure. This is a, a potential uh, area that I'll hunt next year. And so I did. And so... Um, this is the time to jump deer. You might, assuming they have their antlers, they haven't dropped them yet, you might actually see a, a buck that you want to target for next year. and uh, Or you might find a sheds. But ultimately, it's an opportunity to gain intel and build your plan for next year and build some more theories. Number two is find rubs and scrapes. I mean, this is an obvious one. We've, the, the, the understory leaves, etc. Is, is all dead right now. So now you can see more clearly and get a sense of, oh, there's a rub and there's a rub and oh my gosh, there's a rub. We have a nice rub line here. Based on my theory of buck movement, this makes a lot of sense. Or I wasn't aware of this. This is something I need to look at more. Or you might find a, a hub scrape. Um, you may find uh, a series of scrapes or something that's going to help you set up for next year. Because as we know, does tend to bed and feed in very uh, systematic area. They're very patternable. And so if, if we kind of figure out where the doe family groups are, and then we find rubs and scrapes in relation to that, then we can really build a plan based on that knowledge. So obviously finding rubs and scrapes. Let's go to number three, which is terrain analysis. And so for me, it's not only seeing rubs and scrapes like we mentioned, but also getting a sense of what the terrain is really doing in different areas to dictate deer movement. So maybe we've got a ridge system and in between, uh, at certain points in, along this ridge system, it's there's a drainage, it sort of pinches down. And of course, there are areas where deer are going to have to maybe go up or down based on how that pinches and how steep it is. Or if it cliffs out in a certain area. Or you know, maybe there's logging roads. And maybe those logging roads have been washed out a little bit and they create a bit of a, a pinch. But for me... It's about finding that, looking at that terrain and understanding how is this impacting or dictating deer movement and how can I use that to my advantage? Because it may, maybe the wind is um, predominantly south, uh, but at this particular pinch, it, it puts the deer at the disadvantage. Maybe they have a south wind at their advantage, most of this ridge system, but at this particular point, they have to go this way and it exposes them, and maybe you know it presents an opportunity for you in this upcoming upcoming season. Number four is deadheads. We talk about sheds a lot, but there's an opportunity there to find good deadheads. 
There's been a lot of deer that have been wounded, unfortunately, and not recovered. Well, this is your opportunity to, to cover ground, and you might find something that not only is beautiful, we all love antlers, but also gives us some intel into the, the type of deer that are maybe using a particular area. And so I think uh, that's a good opportunity in terms of getting out in the woods, deadheads, and of course, shed hunting. Number five, I would say is, is one that, that I like to do a lot is really reevaluate your setups and, and walk the trails that, that you're hunting or the area that you're hunting. Walk it, um, do circles around it, get a sense of what, maybe it's not the best setup. Maybe the rising sun or the setting sun is exposing you, it's skylining you, or maybe there's not enough brush and you can sort of get a sense of what that deer is, is seeing as they come through. And really, you know, evaluate, is that really the kill tree? Or maybe the kill tree's over here. Or maybe I need to hunt it with a different wind than I thought I did. But I think that this is a real opportunity. I can think specifically of some areas that I hunt that I, I want to get out and walk even more not only to jump deer and not only to do the other things that we've discussed, but to really evaluate where is the kill tree? Where is the spot within the spot? Because I think we all, we all have been set up in an area that we know is good, but we've been just off by 15 yards or 20 yards or 10 yards or whatever, or just off because of some limbs and such. And obviously within that, it's an opportunity. We talked, I mentioned earlier about moving a tree or brush to, to sort of pinch deer down, but this is an opportunity if it's if it's um, not illegal within your state to, to move limbs, to, to open up shooting lanes a little bit. Get a sense of maybe opening up additional shooting lanes. Number six is, is sort of an obvious one, but late season food sources. And what I would encourage you to do is do a little bit of research about what, what it is that you're looking for in terms of plant life. And so, uh, you know, there's a, uh, depending on what part of the country you're, you're living in, it's going to vary, but what are all those, where are those late season food sources and how can you document those in your own hunt map app and for next year as maybe you, you, you've run into a, a situation where you're trying to fill that tag and it's December and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's right. This area has, um, you know, some late season food sources outside of what we know about ag, you know, cut cornfields and all that stuff. I'm talking about natural browse, etc. Number seven, I would say is other people's tree stands. So I, you know, there are people that, you know, have a tree stand, they, they, they put it out there, they want to sort of mark their area with it or whatever, and maybe they hunt out of it just during gun season, or maybe they hunt out of it all year, or maybe they don't hunt that much out of it at all. But it's great to document that and get a sense of where, maybe where the nearest parking lot was, and get a sense of what they're, where they're creating pressure in the woods. Because if you're able to sort of map that out, again, it can help you with your theories during the season. You can get a sense of, okay, I know it's the opening weekend of gun. I know I'm going to get pressure. We all are very well, well aware of parking lots, but just to understand like where maybe a particular hunter is going, you know that this is an area 
nearby that has some doe bedding or buck bedding and you want to be able to adjust accordingly, the last thing you want to do is go into an area, hunt somewhere and realize that you're just a hundred yards downwind of someone else's tree stand. Uh, so I think that that's a really good opportunity to understand pressure in general of, again, assuming you're hunting public land. Another thing that I have done personally is create mock scrapes. And, and the way that I've done it is I'll take a rope and, uh, tie it, tie a limb up above a, uh, a trail, a trail where there's several trails that intersect. And, um, usually it's some sort of like a, a, a limb from a pine or a cedar tree, something that, uh, holds a scent and I'm not the best resource on this but I know it's worked and so in terms of what type of limb you should use I would encourage you to check out other other YouTubes or other people's opinions on that but ultimately it's worked for me because I set it up near a doe bedding area it's an area that they use a lot and even during the off season they're 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 scent checking it they're rubbing their preorbital glands on it and it's it's a uh, it is an area that is common that come rut where bucks will come through and they will absolutely you know check that area and, and mark it for themselves so this is an opportunity again if it's if on private land i don't know if you want to do this on public but you can set up some mock scrapes and, and, and really try to do it in a way that, uh, in an area that you know is getting a, a, a decent amount of deer movement already. I don't think setting up a mock scrape in an area that isn't necessarily holding deer is going to necessarily attract deer or attract a lot of attention. But if you have some ideas on where like a doe bedding area is, and you set it up maybe downwind or in an area that works best for you, then I think set, setting up a mock scrape is a good opportunity for to gather intel and also a way to sort of not really bait deer, but in a way create a reason for a buck to come through a particular spot in the woods that you could be uh, hunting. Number nine is camera maintenance. And obviously pull your cams, get your get your cards out, pull that data, uh, freshen those things up, uh, get your batteries out. I would encourage you to use lithium ion batteries um, instead of the double A's. I know they're expensive, but um, especially this time of year, if you leave them out with like a Duracell, uh, a regular alkaline battery, they, they're prone to leak and, and that's going to destroy your camera. So, Ultimately, get those cameras out. And then something that I like to do, I'm not great at it, but I like to see certain dates and I like to mark them accordingly in, in my own calendar. So big, nice shooter buck comes through on November 2nd or October 30th or whatever, daylights. I'm putting that in my calendar for this season. And I'll put, you know, Shooter buck, this site, blah, 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 blah. Whatever, however, whatever descriptives you want to do, but it gives you 
something, a, a bookmark or a placemark for this coming season. Okay, this is a, this is a time when the bucks start to cruise during daylight. Something's going on. Something's you know maybe a doe is coming in heat around this time or whatever. We've all heard of that theory where a doe family tends to come into heat at a certain time each year. So maybe it's the week of you know maybe it's November sixth or maybe it's later in November, November nineteenth. But and you can correlate. You see the buck movement correlate with that. And the more you calendar that, the better off you're going to be and more efficient what you are or effective you are going to be with your time. So when it comes to camera maintenance, I think that is a part of it, is really documenting shooter buck movement for next year. I know some people go above and beyond that and create spreadsheets and analytics, and there's there's obviously some different software and different AI tools out there for you to use. I'm not quite there yet, but that's what I would recommend. And number 10 is get permission. This is the time. This is the time to start. And there's a lot of ways to do it. And in next week's podcast, we're going to dive deep into how I got permission uh, on a property, on a farm. And that'll be the topic for next week. And we'll we'll get into that. But there's a lot of ways to get permission. It's Obviously, family members, maybe there was a, a gathering, a Christmas or Thanksgiving gathering, and you met someone new in your family that you've never met before, and they live in, they live out of state, and all of a sudden you get to know that they have a couple hundred acres or a farm or whatever, and they don't hunt. All of a sudden, you've got an opportunity there to pick up the phone and say, hey, you know, I was thinking, what do you think? The Obviously, there's knocking on doors uh, we'll talk more about that next week. There is picking up the phone, friends of friends, but no matter how you want to do it, get out there and try to get permission. And honestly, it seems intimidating to ask someone for something that you care so deeply about. And sometimes a no can really sting you. And that's that fear of failure or the fear of no can hold you back. But at the end of the day, hearing the word no from somebody isn't going to be, um, isn't any different than not asking. So you might as well ask. And if they say yes, then all of a sudden that's when the magic happens. So don't be afraid. And, and again, we're going to dive deep next podcast on this, but don't be afraid to start thinking about the properties that you want to start asking for permission to hunt this coming year. And begin to think about your own strategy with that. How do you dress? How, what do you want to say? How do you communicate the value that you can bring to them? Obviously, people pay big money to lease land and people pay big money to hunt private land and all of that. But there is a value that you bring in hunting someone's property. And you need to think about what that could be. Obviously, if I'm a farmer, one of the easiest things is, is that my crops are my, are my source of income. And if deer are eating my crops, I want all the deer dead, quite honestly. They're taking money out of my wallet. So there's one way that you can bring value. Another way is really, you know, you are uh, appreciating 
what they do. You you are you are sharing you a common interest in what they do as a li- livelihood. If they're a farmer, you are uh, somebody an ear for them to sort of share their frustrations or someone that can help them. I found that I've been very helpful uh, with this particular farm that I've been working with. And I think they like to share with me what they're doing and their vision. And they don't get a lot of, aside from other farmers, they don't get a lot of other people to communicate with. And I think there's value in that. Another piece of value is that I can keep an eye out for people that trespass. And, and I state that very clearly, like, listen, if I am on your property and I see something unusual or illegal happening, you better believe I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to stop what I'm going to do and, and we'll get you involved and the police involved. And so I think that they like that because they can't have oversight of their property 24-7. And I go in at dark and I come out at dark and a lot of times you know, they're, they're doing other things. So, so those are just some things as you think about it for next podcast. Again, that's my top 10. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for joining me. Please like, share, and subscribe and talk to you next week.